Welcome to the Esquire Q&A podcast where every week we interview a new interesting person on our show. This week we have Australian rock climber Caroline Leon who just four years ago suffered horrific injuries when she fell while training on an outdoor climbing wall in the Emirate. Now doctors said the damage was so severe that she was unlikely to ever walk again. But after being confined to a wheelchair for six months, as well as undergoing 14 surgeries and 23 blood transfusions, she is now on a journey across 15 countries in the Arabian Peninsula to make history. Caroline is hoping to climb 15 of the tallest mountains in the Arabian Peninsula and has three countries left on her list to be the first person ever to climb the 15 tallest mountains in the Middle East. So this week, we're in the Esquire Q&A studio with a very special guest today, Caroline Leon. Thank you so much for joining us it's in our studio. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And you've recently crushed a world record. I wouldn't say crushed. I attempted it, for sure. I was attempting to be the first person in the world to summit all the mountains in the Middle East in the fastest possible time. So I'm still on attempting that. Um, The Guinness aspect of it is done and dusted, but I'm still attempting to be the first person in the world to do all of them, just not in the fastest possible time. Yeah, you need to take some time because you were planning on doing 15 peaks in... 30 days. Yeah. That's which it. sounds. It's crazy. <laughs> like a lot, if yeah. I'm being honest. Yeah, it really is a lot. And I went to the majority of the countries, bar three. Um, so I managed to go to 13 countries in the, f- the 30 day period. Actually, it was a little bit less than that. I think we were 28 days in. And uh, I managed to do, to summit all 10. And then the, the final three, we just had some security issues there. Um, and then I, the pending, the final three. So I still have a few countries to go back to. So I'm going to continue to attempt that. So Mm -hmm. what are the three countries that are still left on your list? On my list to complete. So I have um, Yemen, Palestine and Iraq. And all three are not very easy countries to get to. No, there's some logistical issues there. So it's a work in progress. So at the moment, what I've decided to do is to wait for the right time. Um, And I think in time, the situation will improve in all of these places. So it will be the right time for me to go there safely. And you're very well known in the UAE climbing community, um, especially with all the work you do with Gulf for Good, with, um, you know, just your story. I think what most of our listeners don't realize is that you've come back from a pretty, um, you know, life altering experience the last couple of years. Yeah, I had a, a very <clears throat> severe rock climbing accident. I almost lost my life and I uh, was very close to losing the ability to walk. So that was four years ago and I've spent the last four years uh, rehabbing myself and having 14 surgeries and 23 blood transfusions and being in and out of hospital and having an assortment of procedures and therapies to be able to learn how to walk again. So that's that's what I've been focused on for the last four years. And this year I decided to, to kind of challenge my recovery and to challenge that whole kind of healing process and decided to do this challenge. So, yeah. I mean, what I think most people don't realize is just how hard it is coming from, you know, almost at the door of death to the place you are right now. What was that? What was your healing journey like? 
um, to be really honest, it was very, very challenging. Um, it's, it's nice now that I can look back on that part of my life and show people photos and videos. And even when I look back on it, I, it just, it really makes me remember how challenging it was to begin with my, when I originally fell, um, I shattered both of my feet and my right foot came out of my body. Um, so I had an open fracture and I was bleeding profusely. So I had hypervolemic shock. I was almost like very, very close to passing out and not ever waking up. And then I shattered my pelvis. I ruptured a gluteal artery in my pelvis as well. My pubic bone snapped off and my leg, my right leg disconnected from the left part because my whole pelvis had shattered and the whole thing actually moved up into my rib cage and I shattered a part of my spine. So after having all of those reconstructions and then putting you back together like your Humpty Dumpty, it's learning to walk again was so challenging. So at first, once I left the hospital, it was like, can you zzz your hospital bed up so that you can sit up for five minutes? And that was a challenge because the weight of your body would just sink into your pelvis and a pelvis that was broken broken. And that was excruciatingly painful and really hard. So I went from being extremely physically active to not even being able to sit for more than a minute before I got dizzy and before I was in so much pain. And then it was, you know, like when you leave the hospital, they teach you how to, how to, okay, Caroline, you're going to go home now. So you need to learn to be able to get into a wheelchair. And that in itself took half an hour and took four people trying to lift you and move you. And then it's, okay, well, you have to learn how to do that on your own because you're not going to always have people around. So the recovery process is slow. It's arduous. It's very challenging. But uh, now that I've gone through it, I can tell you that I'm happy that I had, I had that process because what it pulls out of you is this unbelievable amount of strength and endurance because you have no out. Like there is not like a coffee shop you can run along to and have a, like a mini break. You, you can't get out of it. And I remember being in hospital and having this nursery rhyme that my mum used to sing to me in my head. And it's like, we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. And then it says, we can't go over it. We can't go under it. We have to go through it. And I remember listening to that over and over again in, in my head and thinking like, there is nothing I can do but to go through this. And once you accept that, then it's like, I have to do this. There's no out. So I got to put my heart and soul into recovering as hard as it is. I have to do this. And having that, like that mentality, that like just ugh, drive is, uh, is something that I learned and that I learned and had to continue to learn because I was always reminded that there was no out. I mean, the physical aspect of it, you know, everything is on a piece of paper. You know exactly what you need to be physically fit. And that's what the doctors tell you in order to be able to walk again or run or anything. What what most people don't understand is the mental uh, strength that you needed to have to get through it. Did you ever at some point, um, you know, try and like just sort of sift through the cloud and just be like, okay, mentally you need to be at 110% to maybe get through every single day. 
Yeah, I'm going to be really honest with you. The mind is the hardest aspect of that. It's, uh, look, physically my leg, because my leg disconnected, I couldn't move it or feel it for five months. Um, so it was doing nothing. And that's really challenging to to get over and to be able to find the tools and, and techniques to get your leg to work. So I used to, with my physiotherapist, we used to attach electrodes onto it and electrocute it so that it would start to wake up. And slowly those things worked. So there was definitely a path for that. But I had never come across um, a path for how you get through this mentally. And so what I started to do, some of the strategies that I, I did, and I didn't even know that this was a way, it was just something I stumbled on, is I realized that my mind was in the gutter, that I couldn't trust it because the second that I let it have a moment to itself, it was, you're the disabled girl. You can't do this. You're never going to get better. You're never going to walk again. Who's going to love you like this? Who's going to like you like this? Like so many just very bewildering thoughts. And unfortunately they were all true. They were true. I couldn't step away from the fact that, oh, I wasn't disabled. That that could be a perception. It wasn't a perception. It was my reality. And what I started to do then is, okay, if I can't let my mind have a moment to itself because it's so negative, then I need to start to feed it things that are in conjunction with the direction that I want to move to. So what I started listening to is is audiobooks that were like David Goggins and his his audiobook about just, you know, this sheer strength. And I was watching Food Matters TV with all of these people who had recovered from cancer. And I started following Amy Purdy and Aaron Wheels on social media. And Amy Purdy is a, a double amputee and she's um a a para-Olympian and Aaron Wills is also paraplegic and he does these amazing stunts on BMX bicycle, like wheelchairs now. So I just 24 hours a day was feeding my mind everything imaginable so that I could get it to the direction that I wanted to go to. And for me, that was, I wanted to learn how to walk again. And then I wanted to be an, a normal person again. And it was a two year long process for you. It actually took three, three and a half years. And interestingly enough, when I came up with the idea to do Guinness, I still wasn't in a place where I could, I could do that. So I, I decided in February of this year, my friend and I went to Australia and we climbed Australia's highest mountain. And he was joking around with me, like, we should do a Guinness world record. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like wheelchair up a mountain. And, uh, in the process of it, I, we, we summited Australia's highest mountain. We came down and two kilometers from the, the base, I couldn't walk anymore. My feet could not take one more step because they were in so much pain. And when my feet lose the ability to walk, my pelvis just like, it doesn't work properly. So it was collapsing and, uh, making me limp a lot. So we ended up having to call the park rangers and the park ranger picked me up and drove us the rest of the, the mountain down. And it was at that point that I had decided I'm going to summit all the mountains in the Middle East and not being able to do one to getting your body ready to, to do 15 in 30 days. It just gave me the drive to, okay, now I have, I have created a situation for myself where there's no out, like I'm doing this and I needed to get myself ready in not 
to be disabled anymore, but I had to transition to I need to now be like full-fledged, immersed in mountain climbing and push myself to a point where I can be a normal person again, just like any other normal person could do, and I can do this. So that was kind of the process. But it's pretty inspiring to go from not being able to walk to actually coming up with the idea to summit 15 mountains and actually, you know, going on your way to doing it. You inspire a lot of people who who hear your story, read your story, and, and you know, some of the your social media followers have actually been on this journey with you. At yeah. what point in that journey do you, did you feel okay you know what I can do it I'm, I'm actually almost there um at what point did I feel that god I never felt that I always had like what am I doing is this real like my husband kept saying to me he's like Carrie are you crazy and I was like maybe <laughs> but look I um I don't I don't know I can't tell you that all I can tell you is that you have to try and I had to try I I didn't want my accident to be the culmination of my life. I had heard of so many people that get roadblocked by incidences in their life and it destroys them. And I want my life to be amazing. I want to do, I, I want to, I just want to, I want to live and I want to live the best life that I can. And in order to do that, then I need to push myself to places that maybe feel uncomfortable, but at least at the end of it, you know, I'm going to have lived a beautiful life. And that's kind of where I am at with all of this. I don't feel like anybody's ever ready. No one's ever ready. For, things just happen to us and they make us ready. But I listened to something really interesting and I'm sorry for being so like, this is so cheesy, but it was on Dr. Phil and Dr. Phil was like, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he was talking about how like situations, people aren't born like heroes or they're not born anything. It's the situations that make us that. And I've just been very fortunate enough to have amazing people around me who supported anything that I did and who were there. And it's really a testament to them that I'm here today because when I was in hospital, like I wanted to give up a million times. Like I wanted to not exist and I wanted to disappear. And it was so hard and so painful that there were so many days where I was like, come on, like guys, why are you keeping me alive? Like just turn the machines off. Like really I was there and I had all my friends no, at the hospital every day. And I had so many people that were reading me stories, that were watching movies, that were coming to the hospital and just sitting with me. And at some stage I couldn't eat anymore because I had so many surgeries that it just hurt so much. So I was, people were buying me smoothies and coming into the hospital and I had a, like people coming in to pray with me and just, it was just unbelievable. And at the same time, I had no health insurance. And so my friends set up a GoFundMe account and they raised 150,000 dirhams. And when you see that, when you see how many people don't want you to die, it just, it's like, well, now I have to do this because if they believe that I can do this, then I have to, like, I have to believe that they're right. So 
I don't know, did I answer your question or did I ramble on? I rambled on. (laughs) Sorry. But it's inspiring and I think more people need need to know your story and sort of, you know, understand what you've lived through but coming to your journey and your plan to summit all 15 mountains mm-hmm. what was the first mountain you tackled and 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 did you you know which country was it in and and were you just like halfway up there being like oh my god I can't. Like, well what you, is going on yeah I had a lot of those moments but do you know what was really what was really interesting I kind of I went into this whole process with this kind of idea like because my husband thought I was crazy the whole way through. And he's like to me, Carrie, are you sure you want to do this? And I was like, look, if this is meant to be, then the universe is going to conspire to help me. And all of a sudden, like I had this little idea and I was just plugging away at it, like planning mountain by mountain. And all of a sudden I had like DHL come on board and come and sponsor this whole project and then I had golf for good that were helping me with the training and the trekking and and then I had all of the guides in every country that were like okay we're going to do this we're going to help you get up there so you don't do it entirely on your own there's a little bit of a buffer of safety um and it really made the whole journey just unbelievably an amazing experience. So although the mountains were very challenging and the first one that I did was Turkey and it was very difficult, um, I just had such an amazing experience because I had so many amazing people there and it just made the whole process just like fun and beautiful and exciting. And what would you say was the easiest uh, summit so far in in Uh, this journey? Well, the easiest there wasn't really any easy mountains there there were little mountains and then there were really big ones and on the little mountains so for example Kuwait was only about 200 meters but we had the whole DHL team there and they summited with me and we had this drone following <laughs> us and videoing it and we were all jumping with these Kuwaiti flags and DHL flags on the summit and uh, the whole team was really scared because we weren't allowed to be there <laughs> so they were like l- watching out and making sure that no one was um was spotting us like jumping on the top of this hill um so that was it was fun and it was very easy and then I had other summits that were very small but a little bit more challenging but overall it was a a very it was non-stop so I was Turkey and Iran were probably the countries that I spent the most amount of time in So I spent five days in each and then the rest. So I had to do this in 30 days, 15 countries. If you average that out, it's two countries a day. So if I spent 10 days on the first two, then I had 20 days for like another 13. So I was like, go, go, go every day. Um, I would wake up, go to the airport, get to a new country, um, have dinner, pack all my bags at 3am, ready to go onto the mountain, start summiting, like would get to the base at about three or four in the morning and start summiting. And some of the mountains that took a day to climb, like for example, in Syria, I got to the base of the mountain at three in the morning and we started, we had to go through checkpoints and security and a lot of the, the military aspect of it. By five in the morning, we were on the base and then we started summiting and we didn't get to the summit until about four in the afternoon. And I had a flight at 8 PM. So I was literally, we were running down that mountain. Um, and 
I remember my guide, Riyadh at the time, he was like, let's go. And we were <laughs> running down the mountain and dry, he was driving like crazy to get to the airport. And I got to the airport so dirty, covered in dust and sweat and in hiking gear. And I got onto a plane and got to the next mountain, landed literally in pajamas, like just looking disheveled. And I was picking up my hiking gear, going to the to the hotel, having a shower and 3 a.m. next mountain. So it was very nonstop, but it was amazing and thrilling and exciting and just, it was great. I mean, so how many miles did you average? Have you calculated? Oh, no, I have no <laughs> idea. I know that on a date, so when I, because I was tracking everything for Guinness and uh, on a daily basis. So there were some travel days that I was just traveling and some days that I was summiting. And the days that I was summiting, I was averaging about 30 kilometers a day. So I was walking uh, roughly about that. In countries like Turkey, where the mountain is split because it's such high altitude, you only walk for five or six hours a day. And then I was averaging about 10 Ks. So I was walking 10 Ks, resting, camping, acclimatizing, walking 10 Ks, resting, camping, acclimatizing. But um, so I did that a lot of the time, but it was between 10 to 30 Ks a day. So I have no idea how my body did that. Like no idea. And what was the training process like just to be able to, you know, be able to, you know, it's hard enough to summit one mountain where people train for months to, you know, climb to the top. Mm. What was your training regime like? Um, so from the point in February when I climbed Australia's highest mountain and couldn't make it to the bottom, I realized that I had a lot of training to go. And it, was, it wasn't that I wasn't strong Um, it was just that my feet couldn't walk the distance without hurting. So early in the year I had done a 10 K like to run a 10 K and it was the first 10 K I'd ever run since my accident. And even then I couldn't walk for three days. Like you have to remember after you've had your feet reconstructed. So my right foot has had five surgeries on it and my left foot has had two. And because there's the, the bones are literally different shapes and they function and walk differently. And my pelvis is a different shape like half of it is artificial so it it's just when I walk too much they just don't know how to do that and they hurt so much so it was really about trying to get through the distance so I started going to the gym every single day including Friday and Saturday just every day religiously doing weight training and doing a lot of rehab for my feet and then um I was walking about, I was walking my dogs about three and a half Ks in the morning and then taking them on a 5K walk in the evening. So what I was, and then on the weekends, I would try and walk 10 Ks. So that's what I started doing from February up until September. But I think the only reason that I I got through all of that was just like adrenaline. And like I said, you just had these amazing people everywhere. So like I got to Egypt and the DHL team bought me a bouquet of Snickers bars. (laughs) I was like, at first I was like, I'm not eating Snickers. And then in the aeroplane, I was like, oh, this is so good. And I just started chowing down through these, like a bouquet of Snickers. It was, it was yummy. So what's your um, advice to people who want to start you know, getting into climbing, especially in the UAE? Um, 
Look, I'm very fortunate enough to be a part of an amazing charity organization uh, that helps um, people prepare for challenges. And they they basically, it's called Golf for Good, and they basically um, do a lot of prep hiking. So they do five to six challenges a year. Some of them are Everest Base Camp and Machu Picchu and Cycling the Seven Emirates. So they do challenges and all the money goes towards charity. In addition to that, they have a segment called Soul Fit and you go onto their website, you register for the hikes and for the, the stair climbing and um, they help you get ready for hiking. And then they do, so hiking season's just started and you basically they organize hikes every weekend and you I think it's about 50 dirhams that you pay and the 50 dirhams goes towards golf for good so keeping them alive um and you get a rep and, and basically you go hiking all around the UAE so if you've never hiked before that's probably where I'd start because at least you get to hike with a community of people who know what they're doing um and they're experts and you don't really you know you hear so many stories of people going off and going off to hut and then getting lost and having to call yeah you know the army for help but there's no cell reception so you know they have yeah. a really traumatic time so yeah so I would I would until you're proficient at it um I would definitely go and hike with a community uh like that be, because it's really it's about safety and people now that I've experienced everything that I have I would really recommend people to be safe like be safe <laughs> and you know after this journey that you've been on, uh, trying to summit 15, you know, peaks in the Middle East. What's mm-hmm. next for you? Um, so I'm going to finish this challenge because I definitely want to be the first person in the world to do this. So that's that's my next goal, um, to be able to complete the final five. So I'm... R- kind of doing a little bit more research and I've planned out how I'm going to complete the next five. Hopefully the situation, the security situation improves. That's what I'm waiting for. And then from there, I've had a couple of ideas. I don't know. Do you want to hear them? Yeah, let's go. a bit crazy. So I, you know that there's the seven summits and then there's the seven volcanic summits. Mm -hmm. So one man has climbed both. So I was thinking about trying to be the first woman to do that. That's in the back of my mind. So only 27 Seven people have climbed the seven volcanic summits in the world. Thank God Everest is not a part of that. Yeah. So um, I was thinking about doing that. And I've already done two of them, so it makes it easier. So five Which to two go. have you done already? Uh, I've done Damavand in Iran and I've done Kilimanjaro. So okay. two done and there's only um, five to go. And I think there's only one, um, Ojos de, de Sal, like the Eyes of Salt. Mm. And I think that's in Argentina and it's the only one that's higher than the two that I've already done. Okay. So it's all about altitude here. <laughs> so look, this is an idea that I've been playing with in my mind. I haven't, my husband's going to die now. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's an idea that I've been playing with. Like I I really think it's important for people to have things to strive towards. Um, and you have to have goals because if you don't, then you just kind of chug along. Yeah. And if you have something that you're working to, it you're forced to be ready for that. So, so five volcanoes in 2020 you think would be your next goal potentially yeah potentially um we'll see we'll see I don't want to like solidify that into the ether but it's something that I'm playing with and uh who knows like 
to be honest with you, there's nothing more beautiful than being on the summit of a mountain. It's also extremely difficult. And halfway through the journey, you're like, why am I doing this? Because it's you leave at 3 a.m. It's freezing. Most of the mountains you're in like minus 10. In Iran, we had 60 kilometer winds. You're at 5,500 meters. You can't breathe. The volcanoes have sulfur spewing out of them. It's like grim. Mountain life is really grim. <laughs> like you are too cold so you don't change your clothes because it's freezing. You can't wear any makeup because obviously you don't wear makeup because you just it'll, can't it'll be just bothered. It'll just freeze to your face. Yeah, also. it's you don't brush your hair, you don't have a shower, like you live in a tent. It's, it's grim. But on the flip side, um, when you get to the summit, that sense of achievement that you get and then to be able to see the arc of the earth, like if the mountains are above 5,200, you get to see the arc of the earth and – to see the clouds underneath you and to get that, that just, it's magnificent to see that just puts everything to perspective. It really makes you just in awe of how beautiful the earth is and how we're just a small speck amongst it all. And that's really just, it's so lovely. It's lovely. And then, you know, you get to the summit, you're like, oh my God, I did this. Like, that's amazing. And then you run down as fast as you can because it's horrible. (laughs) It's well, great. amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us mm-hmm. on the Esquire Q&A podcast. And we wish you the very best of luck to summit the other three mountains. Thank you. And hopefully the next five volcanoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> it was such a pleasure to have you. As always, um, you can tune in every week for a new Esquire Q&A podcast. And you can find more information on everything we've talked about today on EsquireME.com.